Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, good morning, Colonial Woods. How are we doing this morning? Good? Yeah, we're excited. Man, that was a good time of worship, wasn't it? I love how our worship team just leads us into the presence of the Lord, so I love that. Hey, we started a series last week. We're going to jump right into this. That Pastor Phil kicked off called Rewired, and this was the verse that he used out of Romans chapter 12, and it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. And, and the key phrase here is the transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that, that the idea here is that there are things in our lives that God needs to help us kind of transform or rewire in order to be following his purpose. We are on the track that we think sometimes is the right track, but God's saying, hey, there is something better for you if you can get more lined up, rewired to what I'm thinking. And so that, that entails what we're going to be spending the next several weeks on and even this morning as we talk this morning. So we're going to be in Exodus is where you can take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 1. Now we are going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. We're going to be on a journey. Okay, journey through Exodus. So Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to start that journey. Before we do, I want to tell you uh, a, a little story. When I was a little kid, um, uh, there was a, one of my favorite shows was a show called Welcome to Pooh Corner. Um, and I know, I know that sounds funny as a name, but it's a spinoff of Winnie the Pooh. And it was so cool. Um, back, in, back in that time, Disney Channel had, had different shows that they put on, but they didn't actually have their Disney Channel. And so in 1983, they created their own channel. So you've seen things before that uh, that had Mickey Mouse Club, things like that. It started back in the 1950s. Um, but they, they then wanted their own channel that they created. And so in 1983, they wanted to get 16 programs on one channel. Now, nowadays we have Disney Channel, Disney Junior, Disney XD, all the Disney, I mean, they own the world, right? That's just kind of what Disney does. But then it was one channel, 16 programs, and the third show on their program was Welcome to Pooh Corner. And I, and I loved the show. It's got Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, ER, the whole thing. And uh, the cool thing, they were live action characters. They put them in these suits, but their heads were all animatronics. It's the first thing of its kind. So the eyes still blinked, big eyes, mouths moved, but the bodies were still in the suits, which probably could scare some kids today. But at the time, it was awesome. And so I loved it. And my two favorite characters from that show, from the Winnie the Pooh, probably not what you think. Most people like Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. For me, it was Eeyore and Tigger. Eeyore and Tigger. Now, if you know the show, if you know Winnie the Pooh at all, Eeyore is kind of that negative Nancy type of guy, right? He's the guy that goes, my tail fell off again, right? If it's sunny outside, he goes, it's sunny now, but I bet it's going to rain later and we'll all get wet, right? That was Eeyore, and I just thought he was hilarious. I, I mean, you got this guy, he just says the off-the-wall things, he's just funny to me. But what made him even funnier was the, the, my other favorite character, Tigger. Because when Tigger would come in, now I know you're going to find this a little hard to believe, but I kind of relate to Tigger. I tend to be a little excited at times. I may bounce around here and there. I don't know if I actually go, woohoo, right? But, 
I can, um, but I, I love Tigger because he is one of the guys that bounces around. He loves life, and whenever he would come in front of Eeyore, Eeyore would be saying his statements, and Tr- Tigger's sitting up there dancing, bouncing around, you know, and, and Eeyore's just like, stop it, Tigger. You know, like, he just gets all upset, but Tigger was my favorite character, but it, they had to have both of them in order for me to have a good time because you just saw the difference. I had a stuffed little Tigger that I carried around with me everywhere. Um, I, I used it, had it so much that I rubbed the nose off of it where the stuffing was coming out because I just, I love Tigger. Now here's, what, here's why I tell you that. I believe in our world today, there are a lot of Eeyores and Tiggers out there. When you look at our world, when you look, if you don't believe me, I think that there are Eeyores, the tales are today. The question is, is which one are you? Where are you at? Because I believe at some point in time, a lot of us tend to be Eeyores, and sometimes we need to figure out how to move or rewire our brains to kind of sit in the, in the Tigger world. If you put actual terms to these, uh, if you figure it out already, it's kind of the optimist, right? An optimistic person is defined as someone who's disposed to take a favorable view of events or conditions to expect the most favorable outcome, right? So someone, the glass is half full, anything could go wrong, and those people are happy. So your car falls off a cliff, and and this person goes, well, we needed a new one anyway. Yay, right? So, so it's the optimist is that person. The pessimist, the pessimist is as defined as this. It has, they have a tendency to expect only bad outcomes. They are gloomy. They are joyless. They are unhopeful. My tail fell off again, right? These are the people that the glass is half empty. Anything that could go right, they figure out how to tell you how it went wrong. This is our world today, and I'm sure no one in this room is a pessimist. Most, if you, if you may lean towards that, you're sitting here going, hey, pastor, I am not a pessimist. I'm a realist. That's just how I work. There's a realist in the world, but I, I would ca- I call you realists out there a pessimist. That's kind of how it is and, and what's, what's happening. And so, but I know no one in here is that way. So let's say hypothetically, there is someone in here like that, hypothetically. And let's say just every so often, maybe you, hypothetically, have had a pessimistic mindset, hypothetically. How then would we get to a place from pessimism to optimism? How do we rewire our brains if we get in those moments, hypothetically? Because I believe as a church, we can get stuck in some of those areas. And we need to begin to rewire our thinking and rewire how we look at that whole concept. If you look through scripture, there's a lot of examples of pessimistic people. But I I believe there's one giant group of people, if you go through the Old Testament, who tend to just have a pessimistic spirit about them. And they are the Israelites. The Israelites are 
one of those people group that we talk a lot of, of, in history because they are the people, God's chosen people through time. But they tend to be very pessimistic. And then you throw in guys like Moses and uh, Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, these guys who try and fight the pessimism of the Israelites. And they're sitting there going, how do I get these people to at least be happy about something? For us, I think it's good to see the journey that the Israelites went on so that we can know how can we rewire our brains to get there. So Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to start um, to kind of see their journey. What has happened at this point in time, Joseph, he was, uh, if you read the end of Genesis, Genesis Joseph is raised up. He's the kind of the second command, and all of his siblings and their descendants have moved to Egypt. Now, if you know your biblical history, uh, that's where the Israelites came from. Is Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, the descendants all came from there. So they are currently in Egypt, and they begin to have kids, and the nation of Israel, the Israelites, begin to grow. But there's a change in power. So Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to start our journey. Verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. Fight against us. And leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And so you have the Israelites who are growing in number, but they are enslaved by what's going on. So God calls a guy named Moses. If we grew up in the church, you hear about Moses a lot. Called a guy named Moses to save them out of this slavery. And as the story goes, he was raised in Pharaoh's home, almost like a son in there. So he re- but then he killed an Egyptian and fled to the desert. And yet the Israelites are still enslaved. And so God meets Moses in the desert. If you go over to Exodus chapter 3, where we're going to go to the next part of the journey, he meets him in the desert and begins to talk to him. And this is what he says there. He says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I think Pooh would be very happy with that. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezerites, Hivites, the Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God makes a promise to the people saying, hey, I'm going to get you out of this. Moses, you just need to go to Pharaoh and in a good song voice say, let my people go, right? And then it'll happen. And so you need to go and do that. So Moses, go and do that. But there's a problem. The Israelites still haven't agreed to it yet. 
right? They still have to say, I'm willing to do that. And it took some convincing. So if you go to Exodus chapter 4, I told you we're going on a journey today. Exodus chapter 4, verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So Moses goes says, let my people go. And we know the story, right? Ten plagues later, later, they get to leave Egypt. The Red Sea has to be parted, right? Miracle has to go. But God is fulfilling his promise to take them out of Egypt. And then they're going to go to the promised land. So he brings a pillar of fire by night and cloud during the day that they follow and they're in the desert going to, on their way to the promised land. But some things happen when they get there because they're a little not upset. The first thing that happens is that they're thirsty, right? They get a little thirsty, so what happens? Grumbling. I call it grumpy old man syndrome, right? We all know that one person who they just want to grump about things like, I saw a couple of you looking at your spouse. Please don't do that. That's not fun. All right, so, so, so this grumpy old man says, like, hey, they're, grump, they're grumbling, right? We don't have water. We came out here. Uh. So God's like, oh, hey, okay, I get it. If you go over that hill, there's going to be this, like, lake, um, palm trees. I'm going to give you water. It's going to be good. I promise this. This is what's going to happen. So he does that. So they go over to this town called Elam, and there's, that's what happens. In the middle of the desert, by the way, he provides water. So they're there. And then they leave there, and they start going, again, right? The grumpy old men come out, and this is what it says, Exodus chapter 16. You can move there real quick. Exodus chapter 16, it says this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam. This is verse 1. They set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, interesting name, which is between Elam and Sinai. Mount Sinai is where they got the Ten Commandments. That's where they're going. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. It wasn't just one grumpy old man. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, did you get that? Remember all the misery words I used and crying out and all that stuff? And they get, and they get out of that, and they get in the middle of the desert, and they go, we're hungry, we're hungry, we're hungry. You know what? It would have been better to stay in Egypt as slaves. It would have been better. And this is where I go in the story, and I'm like, what in the Winnie the Pooh are you thinking, Israelites? Like, what are you thinking? Are you, are you serious right now? You truly believe it was better to stay there? God is doing, he's fulfilling the promise with miracle after miracle. And this is, this is when it hit me that, that us as Christians, we do the same thing at times. That God has led us 
out of different things. He has, he's been faithful over and over again, and yet we sit there and continue to grumble. And we as his people need to rewire our brains from grumbling and looking at the past to saying, God, what do you have for me and what's the promise you want? And so if I had to redo a definition for optimist and pessimist in the Christian world, the optimist is one that focuses on the promises of God, where the pessimist is one that focuses on the past. And we have to begin to rewire our brains to leave that pessimistic past behind us and move towards the promises that God has. And the Israelites just struggled to see that. Now, how do we do that? Because that's the question. How do we move and rewire our brains? We have to begin to recognize where we're at. We have to recognize what are we doing right now? Hypothetically, There are some people in here that struggle with this. So how do we then move from that? And we have to recognize a few things. Someone who struggles with pessimism, they tend to be quick to point out their pain. They're quick to point out their pain. Notice that in Exodus chapter 1 through this verse, uh, it says that they made their lives bitter and they're harsh and brick and mortar, all kinds of things, harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And if you notice and you go through Scripture every time, the, the Israelites are quick to say, oh man, we are just slaves. They're, they're, they're pointing out their pain. Why? They want to tell everybody because misery loves company. Isn't it true? Have you ever met that pessimistic person when they're going through something, they want to make sure you know what they're going through? Yeah, I had this problem the other day. Want to hear about it? Good, I'm glad you do. Let me tell you. And they want to tell you all about what's going on and all the pain. Now, now we as people, we like to share our story, but I find the pessimistic person has to share their story. They have to share the pain that they're going through so everybody else can understand what's going on. The second thing, if you struggle with pessimism, you tend to be quick to feel sorry for yourself. You feel sorry for yourself. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers. Now, it's a bad situation. I get it. But they're sitting here going, woe is me. My tail fell off. Slavery's bad. Right? They want, they want to sit there and feel sorry for themselves. And, and they want to wallow in their self-pity. And we've all been there. I've done it. Where I'm just like, oh, no one gets it. No one understands me. Right? We look at our kids and that's how they live. Teenagers but I don't think it changes too much as we get older. We just use different verbiage. Woe is me. My tail fell off again. And we are very quick to feel sorry. And what happens is is when we feel sorry for ourselves, we sit down. And when we sit down, there's no movement towards what God's calling us to do. The third thing, someone who struggles with pessimism tends to be quick to want someone else to find their solution. It said that the Israelites grew daily. It says that they were fruitful, they multiplied, they were bigger than the entire Egyptian group. And you're telling me not one person heard the promise of God? You're telling me not one person said, hey, we can probably get out of that. What did they keep saying? We're waiting for God to send someone. 
I got to believe if one person said, hey, God, you're calling me, he's going to do it, right? But in 429, Moses and Aaron had to be the ones that brought together all the elders of the Israelites. When we're pessimistic, we're waiting for someone else to provide the solution. We're, we're, we're waiting for someone else to say, hey, this is what you should do. And here's what's funny. When they bring the solution, a pessimist typically goes, yeah, that's not probably going to work. Yeah, I thought about that. And then I thought, we shouldn't do it. Right, we've met these people. Well, have you done this? Yeah, I saw so many things going wrong with that. Did you try it? Thought about it. And we start making excuses and everybody's trying to find a solution except us. But remember, we're in pain. We're struggling. And we've all been there. We've all been there. The fourth thing, the fourth thing someone who struggles with pessimism tends to be quick to exaggerate their past. Quick to exaggerate their past. And that can be for good or for bad. But we we exaggerate what had actually happened. The Israelites, remember, they said to them in Exodus 16, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Did they forget how much pain they were in that they told everybody about? Did they forget the misery? Every single time it says they cried out in misery. I don't know about you, misery does not mean good things to me. And so, so as they're sitting there, they're saying, hey, but if we went back there, it was so much better. It, when, I, when I was a little kid, well, when my girls got up to elementary school, they, they had a playground at their school, right? Recess, when all the kids have recess. And I remember them telling me how awesome their playground was, and I remember telling them, oh, girls, my playground was so amazing. I don't think you know how good my playground was. Like, it, yours is good, but mine had big towers, all these different things, and it was great. And so we were driving through my old town one day. I'm like, we're going to stop and we're going to go to my elementary school. I want you to see how great the, this, this, this playground is. And I remember pulling to the back of the playground going, what happened to this playground? And I remember the girls getting, I don't know if the girls remember this, getting out of the car going, yeah, Dad, this is great. And I'm sitting here going, it was tall, it was huge. Well, to a three-foot-five kid, it was. But in my brain, I've made it so much better to what's going on. And how often do we do that? Where we exaggerate what has happened in the past so that we can feel better about staying there and why we need to think about that and return to that. That's what pessimism does. And God is calling us to change out of that mind frame to rewire that to say, hey, what are the promises he's telling? Can I tell you, God is promising every single one of you something in here. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's a relationship, a job, finance. I don't know what it is. But God has called all of us. And, and can I tell you, it's not bad to look back at the past. I don't want you to think, oh man, I shouldn't even think of that. Always looking forward. No, you need to remember where you came from. You need to learn from it. But what happens is when we start looking, it's like a bug to a bug zapper. Oh yes, oh yes, Right? And then we stay there. We have to be able to look and then move. So how do we start doing that? We have to recognize a few things. Someone who strives for optimism 
Someone who strives for options recognizes the potential. Recognizes the potential. I'm going to use the same passages. There's a different viewpoint that we just looked at for pessimism. So he says, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers. They became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Do you know what this is a reminder of why they tell you this? What did God tell Abraham back in the day? Your, your people, your descendants is going to be as many as the stars. It happened. The promise already happened. The potential's there. God's already fulfilling promises. The problem is, the problem is, is when we see potential, we think it should be easy. Potential never equals easy. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Potential equals possibilities. When God promises us and we see the potential, there's a possibility that if we continue down this path, we're going to be able to see that. And if that doesn't work, there's going to be another possibility, another because God will always fulfill the promise. He's telling his people that. You're fruitful. We multiplied. We're getting there. We're doing exactly what we talked about, so I'm promising you that there's potential. The second thing, if you're going to be optimistic, how you rewire your brain, you have to recognize how big God is. In Exodus chapter 3, he says to Moses, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, we serve a big God. And most of us could tell the God stories in our life. I remember when I was here and when I trusted God and I came here because I followed him. I remember what God did. Now, we change that, right, because we exaggerate how that happened. And a lot of times we substitute our names with God's name. And so we quickly forget how big God is and where he's brought us from. You have to recognize how big God is. The third thing, we have to recognize the solution. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them, and they had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. We have to recognize that God is offering us a solution. It just might not be the one we like. He promises that it will happen. And in our brain, we immediately think of how it's going to happen. And when it goes any other way, we're going, oh, that's not the solution. <laughs> God, that's going to be some work. <laughs> I don't like it. But we have to recognize the solution. The fourth thing for someone who strives for optimism, they have to try to recognize the faith needed to focus on God's promise. You see, the promise that God has given all of us, and whatever it is, we have in our brain the timing and how it's all going to work out. But sometimes it doesn't happen when we want it or how we want it. And the only way we can do that is faith that it will happen. So we have to recognize the faith needed to focus on God's promise. In Exodus 16, get this, so they're grumbling, right? No water, God provided a spring and palm trees. No food, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. People are going to go out each day and gather enough for the day. God says, hey, if you have enough faith, I want to rain down manna from heaven, bread from heaven. 
See, there comes a time in our lives that we have to move from pessimism and focusing on our past to optimism and saying, God, you have promised something in my life. And it's a lot like when you're struggling with pessimism, it's like, like looking in a mirror. Try not to shine the lights in your eyes, but you guys see yourself? Y'all look good. See, a pessimistic person looks here. Ooh, I look good. Pessimism wouldn't say that, though. I was told earlier by Pastor Phil, a pessimistic person would say, ooh, you're ugly. Right? But pessimism is so focused on the mirror that no matter where you go, you're, you're seeing that. You can see behind you, right? You can see the back. You can see everything. Because pessimism is all about I statements. I am struggling. Look at me. What's going on? And so you tend to look at the mirror over and over again. And because the mirror's in front of you, all you're doing is seeing yourself and behind you and you can't see what God has promised you. See, eventually it's going to catch up with you. Eventually, when that becomes your focus, God says, hey, you're, you're not with it. I want to give you this, but you can't see the promise anyway. And so if you go to Numbers chapter 32, Numbers chapter 32, the Israelites got their bread from heaven, but they continued to grumble. At every part, they kept grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And finally, Numbers 32, verse 10, it says, The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came out of Egypt will see the land I promised. It says the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. See, when you're so focused on the mirror, you tend to wander. And God says, when you're looking back here, the pessimists, those who struggle, he's saying, hey, I want to show you the promise. I want to show you the land I told you about. But you can't get past what's back there. So I'm going to wait. And you may miss it. But the optimist, instead of the mirror, is looking through the window. See, the window is expectant. You're ready. I mean, how many of you in quarantine ordered from Amazon just to have someone come to your house? Thank the Lord for Amazon, right? We could order something every day and they'd show up. They figured out a way. And what would happen when you'd order off of Amazon? You'd open your blinds, you'd put the curtains back, right? And you're like, are they there? You're ready. Even the mailman comes by, you're like, oh, someone's here. Because you're expecting something big. You ordered, someone's there, there's a problem. You're like, oh, it's coming. See, God's promise is like looking out a window. Now, it doesn't always come on time. We know that, right, Amazon people? 
but it was a promise. And God has made you a promise in your life. And he wants you to see it. He's, he's wanting you to wait. He said, are you willing to look through the window? You go to Joshua chapter 1. After the wandering was done, it says they entered into the promised land. And God said, look around, Israelites. Everywhere you step, I will give you like I promised. See, God is calling us to be a church that can focus on his promises. To rewire our brains from the pessimistic past to the God promises. Not the promises we want, but the God promises of the future. And so my two questions are simple. Are you ready to rewire your brain to not look in this mirror, but instead look out a window? But more importantly is, is what God promises are you expecting to see come your way? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your bank account. Maybe it's a friendship. I don't know. But I promise you that God has put a promise on your heart. And I want you to see it. Here's what we do. Pull out your phones. If you, if you did that texting thing earlier they talked about, would you pull out your phones? I would like you to text maybe one word or a quick phrase. of What is the promise that God has put on your heart, that you know is from him, that you're waiting for. And I want you to begin to see this, because it's going to pop up on the screen. It's not going to have a name. But we are a church who is expecting big things from a big God. And he will be faithful. I know he will. So what are they? you can keep sending those in. They'll keep popping up and if you don't see yours on there, I'm sorry. It could be a lot here to get everybody on here, but can I tell you this? This is our window. And my question, church, is what would it look like if we expected God to answer every single one of those? Because he made the promise. If God promised you that, what would it look like if we were expecting him to fulfill his promise? What would it look like if we looked out a window every day and said, God, is today the day that I see that fulfilled? And what if it looked like if it didn't show up that day, the faith to look out the window the next day and the next day? So here's my challenge for us this morning. Maybe one of these stood out to you. 
maybe one that you saw, it's not your own, that you say, you know what, that, that resonates with me, and I want to commit to praying for that. You don't know who that person is, but you say, Lord, I don't know who this person is, but would you, would you help them have faith to see that fulfilled? Would you let them know that you will do what you promised? And maybe for the next seven days, maybe you're saying seven so long, maybe every time you think about this, say, I'm going to commit to praying for that person and for that thing. What would our church look like if we prayed for the promises of God to be fulfilled? What would it look like if we rewired our brains from pessimism and looking in the mirror to optimism and looking out the window for God's promises. That's my challenge for us this morning. So Lord, we love you. You are a big God, a caring God, a God who loves us. But God, sometimes, sometimes we act like Eeyore. <laughs> we have trouble recognizing who you are and where you're taking us. So Lord, would we be a church that recognizes your promises and has enough faith to believe they'll happen. God, would you rewire our brains in such a way that when we struggle with pessimism, when we struggle with our past, that you can move us to your future and to your promise. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.